Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make, up, will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his, his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Cool. I will push my glasses up the bridge of my nose and begin my talk. <laughs> that may or may not have actually happened. Uh, okay. Um, everyone, get out your phones. Stick them up in the air if you have one. Keep your phones in the air if you only got a new phone this year. So 2019... And this is a new phone. Okay, so a few of you... This is not me, by the way. This is a few. Okay, I want to know who's got the, the most, the most um, advanced phone here. So, uh, any iPhone 10, 10Ss, 10Rs? Yes or no? Any Samsung S10s? Okay, Wendy, what have you got there? Okay, come up here. So, Wendy's got a 10S. Okay, can we grab a mic off you? Everyone say hi to Wendy. Okay, let me just have a look at that, that beautiful 10s. Okay, Wendy, um, so this is a, an iPhone 10s. Um, what, what, what are some of the things you use your iPhone for most? Um, messaging people, uh, taking photos. Okay, photos, messaging. Do you listen to music on it? Oh, yes. Do you music. watch any? Uh, watching YouTube. YouTube. Um, what else do you do on it? Um, do, you, do you browse uh, yeah, Safari? News. Yeah. Um, how 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 much would you actually use it for making a call and talking? Oh, uh, I call my mom on it. Okay. <laughs> As a percentage of all the time you use on your phone, how much um, of it is actually year to phone verbal talking? Maybe like eight percent. Okay, but maybe eight <laughs> percent, which is under ten. Well, that's pretty exact. <laughs> under ten percent. Um, <laughs> If you know anything about the iPhone XS, it's got, what, two rear cameras. How many up the front? Uh, one. One. <laughs> but it's, um, it, it takes pretty great photos. Um, it's got an advanced processor. You can surf, you can browse, you can uh, message. Uh, you can do lots of stuff on it. So um, really, this, I mean, we call it a mobile phone, but it's really not a mobile phone anymore, is it? I mean, none of the phones you have, even the old ones like I have, an iPhone SE, I hardly use it to, to call. And so calling it a mobile phone is, is just a term we use from, what, 10 years ago when phones were really only good for talking and playing snakes on. Some of you remember that. Okay, take a seat, Wendy. Thanks very much. Okay, what's my point? Um, Wendy's rich. No, that's my point. Um, 
<laughs> My point is this. When it comes to heaven, this, what, do you, what do you think of when you think of the word heaven? You see, for most people, this is what we think of. Heaven is the place where you go when you die. You ask the average person on the street, even if they don't believe in it, that's what they mean by heaven. Now, that statement is a little bit like me holding up Wendy's phone or even my phone and saying, this is a mobile phone. I mean, it's sort of true, but really it isn't even close to the full picture now that we have smartphones. Now that we really, most of us don't use our phones as phones in the old sense for maybe anything more than 10%, 20% if you're lucky. You see, when we look at how the Bible talks about heaven, we'll see that that statement represents so little of what the Bible actually teaches about heaven that it actually becomes misleading. See, sometimes a little bit of truth is worse than no truth at all. Now, I'll show you some ways in which this statement is misleading. That statement implies that, number one, heaven is primarily a place that's separate from earth. I'll show you today that that's misleading. It also implies that life after death in heaven and our ultimate hope to go to heaven is ultimately non-bodily. That's also misleading. And thirdly, that our ultimate hope is therefore an escape. We've got to escape from earth to go to heaven, and that's what we're all longing for as followers of Jesus. Again, misleading. And salvation in this idea is pretty much all about me. It's my salvation. It's individualistic. Now, today's, this morning's talk, I want you to forget everything you think you know about heaven. And what we're going to do is open the Bible and see what the Bible actually says about heaven. So I hope you're ready to go. Our outlines are on page 10 onwards. Let me pray. Let's get into it. Father God, we pray that if we have tired eyes and minds that you might awaken us. Most of all, I pray that you might speak to us powerfully through your word. We pray that we might meet you in your word today. We pray that you would challenge us as a result of what your word says about heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm up to point number two. We looked at what heaven is not. So what is heaven? Well, the word heaven or heavens, often it's in the plural, is used over 500 times in both the Old and New Testament. And it's used in at least three main ways, and it's helpful to distinguish that. So I've got there A, B, and C. Well, two main ways, but two is split up into A and B. Okay, firstly, heaven is often talked about as the sky. So it's part of the visible material creation, the world that God has made. And today, because we know that there is space beyond the planet Earth, it would include the space above, beyond, um, the galaxies, the universe. All right, so in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew is, is parallel, so the two lines are like explain each other. So you see the heaven is paralleled with skies, because in here it means the same thing. In fact, many times, in fact, the word heaven is just in our modern English translations translated as sky. So when Jesus says in Matthew 6, look at the birds of the air, the literal word there is, look at the birds of heaven. But he means the birds of the air, the birds in the sky. Now in this uh, first sense of heaven, when it's paired with earth, so you've got heaven and earth or heavens and earth, together it means the whole of the material visible creation. Heaven and earth paired together is like that. It's a little bit like when we say 
young and old, or high and low, right? When we say, um, along came young and, young and old to watch John Mayer last night, we don't mean that only the young and the old came. We mean everyone, right? Uh, or we search high and low for my son's iPad. doesn't mean I only search the high place and the low place. We mean to search everything in between, right? So heaven and earth is like that. It's the high, it's the low, it's the heaven and earth. It means everything in between, uh, the two extremes. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what it means. Created everything. At the end of the Bible, which we'll come to tomorrow, Revelation 21, And I saw a new heavens and a new earth. Same meaning, right? A new cosmos, a new universe. When the first uh, man ever went into space, who knows the name of the first man who went into space? Yuri Gagarin, okay? Rush, uh, when he went into space, the Russian president confidently declared that they went into heaven and they didn't find God. What do you think of that? Well, that's assuming that the writers of the Bible were kind of literalist and kind of dumb and thought that God was actually in some place in the sky or the space. But of course, even the ancient writers of the Bible didn't believe that. Time and time again, you get passages like Psalm 113, look over there. The Lord is exalted over the nations, His glory, what? Above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? Do you see? He has to stoop down to look on the material creation, the sky, the earth, uh, the, the space. That's, right? He's above that. The Bible is not literal about God being in heaven in this first sense. And so this is probably a much better meme for the Russian president. You see? Astronaut says, I see no God up here. And the laughing face, you will when your oxygen tank runs out. <laughs> now that leads us to the second way that heaven is used. So heaven sense one is skies. Heaven sense two A is God's dwelling place. So you get in Psalm 115, why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. And here it doesn't just mean sky then, right? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. Heaven in this sense is God's dwelling place. Or have a look at Deuteronomy 26. Look down from heaven your holy dwelling place and bless your people Israel. I remember the Bible writers were not dumb. They were not literalists. They didn't really believe that God's dwelling place is part of the visible creation. Somewhere up there. And if you go high enough, you will see Him. You see, in this sense... Sense 2a, heaven isn't so much another place or space. It's sort of another dimension of existence. And this is so much easier to explain now that we've got science fiction and, you know. But this is true. The, a, a good analogy is thinking about a different dimension of existence. It's God's dimension of existence. So asking where is heaven in this sense of God's dwelling place is sort of like if I asked you, where is cyberspace? Like, where is cyberspace? We use the metaphor of space, but cyberspace is really not like any space that we know, is it? It's the wrong question. Because we know from the Bible that God can be in heaven in this sense, God's dwelling place. He can be in heaven in His dimension, and yet He can be on earth everywhere simultaneously. And so automatically, we've we got to think totally different about space and perhaps even time. So in this sense... You get heaven, not so much 
used together with the word earth, but often heaven in this sense is contrasted. It's opposite to earth. So in that same psalm we looked at before, Psalm 115, look what it says. It says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. We saw that before. And then right down to verse 16 of the same psalm, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. You see, it's contrasted now. It's not grouped together. It's contrasted. It's saying that though God is everywhere, there is a special sense in which He is in His dwelling place, heaven. In His dimension, heaven. And in that sense, it's different to earth because earth has change and uncertainty and chaos and struggle and sin. But in His space, there isn't. Though He is concerned about earth and what happens on earth, there is that separation between God in His space in heaven and us on earth. And that's different to um, the, the Eastern view of the world, that if you've heard of the word pantheism. So a lot of Eastern religions is pantheistic. That is, the earth is God, and God is the earth. Well, the Bible says, no, God is not the earth, right? God is in His space, and He is above, in some sense, the changes of things in the earth. He's not part of this world. We can't talk about Mother Nature, right, as if it's divine. So that's the second, first of the second senses, and that leads to, and this is why it's a, not a third sense, it's really related to the second sense, there's 2a and 2b, which is the, 2b is the idea of heaven being God's rule. Because heaven as God's special space, if you like, becomes like the control room for the things of earth. Because it's where the king is. It's where the king rules from. It's his capital. It's where things are controlled from. So you get in Jesus's Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, that is, may your name be made holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see it there? We want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven because heaven is His control room. Heaven is where the King is. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, He does not mean Heaven as the place you go when you die. And I don't know if that's how you've read it in the past. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, you're thinking, oh, that's where I'm going to go when I die. No, no, it's not what he means. Because only Matthew uses kingdom of heaven, you might notice. Right? Whereas Mark, Luke, and John will use kingdom of God. And it means the same thing. So when Jesus says kingdom of heaven, he means the kingdom of God. Because heaven equals God. Why does heaven equal God? Well, as I said before, it's because this is where God rules from. So we talk about Canberra or Washington, sort of in the same way. So if you read in the news, Canberra has given green light to a new airport. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that the city of Canberra suddenly became a person and could give a green light. No, because Canberra is the capital of Australia. It's the place of power, the place of rule. So when we said Canberra has done this or Washington has decided... The place stands for the rule. And that's how heaven is used here. Heaven is God's rule. That's what the kingdom of heaven means. And so, do you see what I mean? Heaven in the Bible is almost never, almost never, simply the place you go where you die. It's like saying that Wendy's iPhone is just a phone. When it comes to the meaning of heaven, that second 2A and 2B, or the, the, the second and third meanings, are the most significant ones. And they're the ones we really want to keep in mind. 
You see, when Jesus, for example, talks about reward in heaven, which we'll talk about more tomorrow, or when 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about how our inheritance is kept in heaven for us, we've got to do a mind change, a, a change of thinking. It's not primarily talking about life after death, heaven. It's not talking about reward after you die primarily. It's not talking about our inheritance that you'll only get after you die. That's not primarily what it means. The primary meaning, and in the context of both these passages, is that these things kept in heaven for you, or your reward in heaven, are yours now. If you're a follower of Jesus, they are yours now, but they're not part of the visible material world. They belong to you now, but they're kept for you in God's space. They're part of God's invisible kingdom and rule. And so they're not subject to change. Your inheritance, which is in heaven, is not going to fluctuate like the share market or property prices, because it's kept in heaven. It's not perishable. Now, of course, that's going to have huge implications for life after death, but primarily, it's to help us see things from a different perspective, and that's what we want you to see here, to view life from a different dimension. Heaven is about viewing life from God's dimension, where He rules, where things don't perish and don't pass away like on earth. Okay, so that's my second point, and that was all my introduction. Now we're going to look at heaven in the storyline of the Bible. So over the page to point number three. Let me give you a summary. And this is probably the most exciting thing when you look at what the Bible actually says about heaven. And you want to trace it from Genesis to Revelation. Because here it is. The story of the Bible is actually God's plan for heaven. And that's sense 2A and B, right? God's dwelling place, God's rule. God's plan throughout the whole of human history is for heaven and earth to join up. That's his plan. See, salvation is not primarily about souls escaping earth to go to heaven. Salvation is actually about heaven coming to earth and then transforming everything. All right, I hope that changes your mindset. So let's go. Let me show you how it works. Firstly, let's start in the garden. Not surprisingly, creation as God intended it is a place where the boundary between heaven and earth was very, very, very thin. See, God created Eden, the Garden of Eden, but He created it so that He could dwell right in and amongst His people, Adam and Eve. Later on in Genesis 3, this was after they sinned, God was about to take an afternoon stroll with the man. That's how close. People were supposed to be with God. That's how close heaven and earth was. That's how close God's space, God's dwelling space, God's rule was, right in the midst of his people. Now, you, you dig a little deeper, and we don't have time to do that now, but in many ways, Eden, as it's pictured in Genesis 2, is a temple. The first temple, if you like. God dwelling with his people in his creation is in an Eden temple, and his people, Adam and Eve, were like priests. That's the image if you read a little deeper in Genesis 2. Now, you've got to remember that the Garden of Eden is not the whole earth. God created the earth, and then He took a section of it and made it into a Garden of Eden. So Eden was part of the earth, but not the whole earth, because implied is that the task of God's people is that they would extend Eden. 
when God says, be fruitful, multiply and rule, he means that they would take this garden temple and extend it into the rest of the world as they multiplied and subdued it. That was what was supposed to happen. They were to be God's co-workers to extend heaven's contact with earth, in a sense, from Eden outwards to the whole earth. Now, you know that that never really happened because sin changed everything, yeah? Heaven could no longer be a place on earth that's accessible by sinful people. And that's why the entry to Eden at Genesis 3 was barred by angels. They could never go in again. So that's the end of God's plan, so it seems, to bring heaven to earth. Until we get to the next part of Bible's history, which is that God makes promises to one man, Abraham, and his children. And that would be a reversal of the fall. It would be a sort of remaking of Eden. And that's how the promised land, by the way, is pictured. In the Old Testament, land flowing with milk and honey. It's supposed to be Edenic, like Eden. And you get this really curious episode. Um, Two generations later, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, whose other name, by the way, is what? Israel. Look at what happens in Jacob's experience. On the screen, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. You see, in this dream, we've got that boundary between heaven and earth connected again, don't we? And because it's a promise to Jacob, who is Israel, God is saying that boundary between heaven and earth is going to link up again with this people Israel and this land that I'm about to give you. Now, where is that fulfilled? Well, it's fulfilled in the Jerusalem temple, point C. Now, even before Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, Israel had a portable temple, right? It was called the tabernacle. And there, God would dwell in the midst of His people as He led them to the promised land. When they finally settled, of course, King Solomon, David's son, builds the permanent structure. And it's worth looking at what Solomon says in his prayer as he dedicates the temple. Again, notice how the temple is supposed to be that thin place between heaven and earth. Solomon says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I've built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry in the prayer that your servant is praying in the presence this day. May your eyes be open towards this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer of your servant, hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Now you'll notice though, the temple is not as good as the Eden Garden Temple, where God could dwell and walk around with His people in their midst. Because sin is still a reality in this world, and so there is a barrier between God and His people, between heaven and earth. And the temple had a curtain, you might know, between God's 
the symbol of God's special dwelling place, the Holy of Holies and everything outside. Okay, so it's not quite the same. And there's a whole sacrificial system that was a way of cleansing sin. But it's supposed to be still, as you can see from Solomon's prayer, the one place on earth where that boundary between heaven and earth gets thinner. That's the whole point. It's a thinner boundary. So tomorrow we'll look at Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah sees a vision of God on his throne in heaven, but the long train of his robes, so imagine a king with like a big gown and the, you know those robes that go long, 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 yeah, bit? Well, that, the train of his robe fills the temple on earth, right? The earth can access heaven at the temple because God chooses to be present there. He's there to forgive, he's there to hear their prayers, he's there to bless, all right? So that's the Jerusalem temple thinning that boundary between heaven and earth. But the story of the Bible, as you know, may know from Solomon onwards, is a massive spiral downwards. Sin continues to get worse and worse, and it continues to separate God from His people, from heaven separated from earth. The temple is eventually destroyed, and God's people are exiled, chucked out of the promised land of the new Eden, like they were chucked out of the old Eden. And the hope for heaven on earth seems completely gone because of sin until, of course, we get to the New Testament. And we actually looked at this passage just a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, in the book of John. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling, the word there is tabernacled. He tabernacled, which is that portable temple among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Later on in John 3, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. You see, in the incarnation, Jesus becoming a man, or God the Son becoming a man, that is the arrival of heaven on earth. Don't you see? That's the fulfillment of arrival of heaven and earth. Heaven as God's presence, heaven as God's rule, now comes as a person. How incredible. And so it's not surprising that you see Jesus using the language of the Old Testament images that we've seen when he talks about himself. You see what he says in John 1, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's the Jacob image, the stairway to heaven image. It's now him. He's the thin place between heaven and earth. And John 2, again, we saw this at church a few weeks ago. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was what? His body. Jesus is the new place heaven and earth meets because he's the new temple. And of course, by his death on the cross, as he takes our sin and judgment in our place, that old barrier between God and His people is destroyed. In fact, as He dies on the cross, what happens to the curtain of the temple in Jerusalem? It rips in half. He destroys sin. He reopens the gates of heaven and the gates of Eden, if you like. And then after three days, He rises again and He goes up into God's space, into heaven. By doing so, Jesus takes our humanity right into the throne room of God in heaven. Because the Bible says, if you are a follower of Jesus by faith, you are united to Jesus. You are joined with Jesus. Where He is, is where you are. Where He goes, is where you go. He is in heaven now, spiritually followers of Jesus. You are in heaven now. And so Colossians 3, which one of the groups talked about last night, didn't they? Since then you have been raised with Christ. 
you already have been raised with Christ, followers of Jesus. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. See, spiritually, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are already with Christ in heaven. You don't, you don't go to heaven when you die. You go to heaven when you are converted. That's what the Bible's saying. But more than that, see, from one perspective, we are united with Christ in heaven. From another New Testament perspective, we are also heaven's presence on earth. Did you know that? We are heaven's presence on earth, the people of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves, and that's plural, use are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. We are God's temple. It's true individually. It's especially true together, collectively, because God dwells in us by his spirit, because God rules us by his word. Because from us, God will hear, forgive, and bless the world. We become priests. And then last of all, when Jesus, the heavenly man, returns to judge, he will fulfill God's plan in every way to bring heaven to earth. The new creation, remember, I saw a new heaven and new earth. It's talking about heaven in the first sense. The new creation, that's our ultimate hope. Right? Not going to heaven when we die, not disembodied spirits flying off into the sky. What our ultimate hope is, resurrected bodies dwelling in a renewed earth. Because heaven will come down to earth and make the whole earth a huge temple. But more of that tomorrow. So, final point. When you see heaven in light of the Bible storyline, you see how Christian life is so much more than just about going to heaven when you die. Yeah? And hopefully you'll see passages like the one we read from Philippians 3 in a new light. What does it mean, but our citizenship is in heaven? What does that mean? It doesn't mean the place you go where you die. It means heaven in that second sense, 2A and B. Heaven is the place where Jesus is now. Heaven is the place where Jesus the King rules from now. Heaven is God's kingdom Citizens of heaven is not something for us in the future. Not like if you're a migrant to Australia and a lot of us and our families were like this. At some point you were waiting, if you're not waiting still, for your citizenship. Right? You're waiting for your PR and finally for your Australian citizenship. It's in the future. That's not what it's talking about. Your citizenship is in heaven. You only get it when you die. No, no, no. It's not talking about future citizenship. When it says your citizenship is in heaven, it's talking about your current dual citizenship. You are both a citizen of heaven now as well as a citizen of earth. You are a, king, a citizen of God's kingdom now, even as you are citizens of Australia and the world. That's what it means. Now, that has two massive implications. Firstly, it means that as citizens of a greater king and a greater kingdom... Our ultimate allegiance is to King Jesus. And what an important thing to remember in the world we live today. Your allegiance, if you're a follower of Jesus, is ultimately to King Jesus, the greater king. Um, you know about Pastor Wang Yi from China? Pastor Wang Yi and his church um, was closed down. He was arrested in December 2018. You might have seen stuff on social media. If you don't know about him, anyway, we still don't know where he is. He's still detained, him and his wife. This is what he said. He said, in a statement 
before he got arrested, because he knew it was coming. I accept and respect the fact that this communist regime has been allowed by God to rule temporarily. For this reason, I am joyfully willing to submit myself to their enforcement of the law, that is, going to prison. I hope God uses me by means of first losing my personal freedom, to tell those who have deprived me of my personal freedom that there is an authority higher than their authority. You don't say these things in China, okay? separate me from my wife and children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life and no one can raise me from the dead. Last night I talked about Secular Sam. If you weren't here, ask someone about it. Secular Sam is a Christian, but Secular Sam only cares about this life. How different is that to Pastor Wang Yi? It hasn't come to this for us in Australia, this choosing our allegiance in the same way as he has. It might, but you know what? It doesn't have to. Do you know, every single day when you and I are tempted by this world, we're asked to choose our allegiance, aren't we? Every time you're pressured to compromise your faith, to go along with what's popular, what's convenient, short-term gains, you're asked to choose. And every time that happens, Christian, remember, you are citizens of heaven. That's where your real identity is. That's where your allegiance is. That's the first one, allegiance. Second one, as citizens of heaven, we are outposts of heaven on earth. We are outposts of heaven on earth. Uh, The background, um, the citizens of heaven passage in Philippians, it comes from the, 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 the city of Philippi, you need to know in ancient Greece, was granted status as a Roman colony. It was very special. Under uh, Emperor Augustus Caesar, it became a Roman colony. And every citizen of Philippi, who were Greek, was automatically made a citizen of Rome simultaneously. It became a mini-Rome. That's what Philippi was known as. It prided itself as being like an outpost of Rome in the colonies. See, remember, heaven has invaded earth already in Jesus' coming and pouring out of His Spirit. God's people are the new temple. So we are like Philippi was. Simultaneous citizens, but an outpost of heaven on earth. Do you know there are 195 countries in the world and 130 of them? 130 out of 195 countries in the world have a McDonald's. That's incredible, isn't it, when you think about it? And you might know this. Maccas in different places have different menus tailored to that place. So there's a McRangdang there's the taro pie in Japan. And of course, in Australia, there's the what? McOz, which is terrible. Gross. Like who puts beetroot in here? But you see, at their core, even with all these little differences, they are all outposts of the kingdom of McDonald's. Aren't they? They're recognizably so. You see those golden arches in you know, Belarus, and you're like, wow, it's the same. It's an outpost. God's people are outposts of heaven on earth. We've got to start thinking like that. Only our product is free. It's paid for by Jesus. And we can give out free samples all the time. And the free samples are us. Our lives, our words, our works. Remember the Lord's Prayer? 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is that prayer answered? Every time you live out heaven on earth, that prayer gets answered. When people see the way you live, they should see heaven. When people see your priorities in life, they should see heaven. When people hear your words, they should hear heaven. When people witness your hope and joy in suffering, they are witnessing heaven. When people join us for worship, they should taste heaven. Heaven is much more than the place we go when we die. Heaven is that greatest story we're part of, and it changes everything. 